If you have a copy of your scripture today, please open with me to the gospel according to Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 24, and we're going to begin reading in verse 13 in just a moment. Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. Now, two weeks ago, you might remember that we celebrated the resurrection on Easter Sunday, and it's hard for me to believe that it's already been two weeks ago since we celebrated the resurrection, but uh, here it is in the middle of April already. And today we're going to revisit that first resurrection day in our text. Now, most Easter's, whenever we look at the resurrection, we'll read or, or uh, preach through the, the, uh, the experience and we'll visit with those first witnesses to the resurrection as they go to the tomb early in the morning and hear the, the angel triumphantly proclaim, He is not here, He is risen, just as He said. What we don't often think about, though, is that Jesus didn't just appear to those ladies and that was it. He also did other things that day, and, and one of those things is what we're going to read about today in Luke chapter 24. And he visited with a couple of men on the road to Emmaus. Now, this is a pretty well-known account, uh, but as we look at our text today, there are a couple of things I want you to see. And, and the main thing I want you to get a hold of today is getting a glimpse of Christ in the Old Testament. Christ in the Old Testament. Now, uh, Luke is where we're going to begin, but we'll be referring to a lot of different passages of Scripture today. And so it's not going to be like a lot of the sermons where we set up camp and just stay there for a while. What I would encourage you to do, because we're not going to have time to turn to all these different passages unless you're super fast in uh, turning, or maybe you have an electronic device, you may be super fast in typing, uh, but, uh, but we're not going to have time to look at all of uh, the texts and, and turn there. And so I would encourage you to write them down, maybe on, on the back of your uh, bulletin or something like that. And really, a, a few years ago, Scarlett and I went to a, a show down in Branson, and there was a comedian who, uh, who, who had a little bit that he did where he would mimic a preacher as, as a show of Pierce Arrow. And one of the things that he said as, as he would do that bit is he said, just open up your Bibles anywhere, I'll be by after a while. And that's the way I feel as, I, as, I'm, as I'm preparing this message, because Christ is everywhere in the Scriptures, and I feel like saying, just open up your Bible anywhere, I'll be by after a while because uh, he is all over the place in our text. Now, uh, since we're not going to have time to turn to them, we're definitely not going to have time to dig into these texts that we're going to look at. But I do want to encourage you to, to at least take note of them and maybe uh, meditate on them this week or, or at least uh, look them up sometime. But if you, if you would, we're going to start out in Luke 24. So if, you're, uh, if you found Luke 24, please stand on our God's word. We're going to pick up in verse 13 and read the whole account down to verse 35. It says, And behold, two, men, two of them were going that day, that very day to a village named Emmaus. So remember, these are followers of Christ the day of the resurrection, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, and the wording there means disputing, they're, they were probably kind of arguing about some of the things. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. He said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? Like he didn't know, right? As they stood still, and they stood still looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? I love these, these questions to Jesus. And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. 
and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he is the one, uh, but, that it, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Now you would think that they'd be rejoicing about this, right? But they were sad because he didn't fulfill their expectations. Some of them, um, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Thank you. you may be seated. The first thing I want you to see in our text today as we, as we start is found in verse 27, and that is the whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Now, Christianity is unique among the world religions for a number of reasons, one of which is its holy book. Now, every religion has its scriptures that it follows. Every, every uh, religion has its sacred writings. But the Bible is unique for a couple of reasons. First is because it's actually the word of God. It's actually God-breathed, and these other religions are all, uh, are all the, the schemings of man or, or, or maybe even demons. But the word of God is the word of God. Another difference is that it is, uh, it's divided up into two parts, and those two parts are separated by centuries in the writings. Now, for many people, many Christians included, they think of the, of the Old Testament as being over here, and it's one thing, but the New Testament is over here, and it's about Jesus. And it's easy to see why people think that the New Testament and the New Testament alone is about Christ, because he started out with the Gospels, and what do you have? We have the birth of Christ, the, the ministry of Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, his ascension. We have the book of Acts, where uh, the people go out, and the, the disciples go out and proclaim this, this Jesus that was crucified, and, and we, we have the Acts of the Apostles. Then we have the epistles of, of uh, they're written mainly by Paul, but we also have John and, and James, some other writers. And what they do is they take the, the gospel of Jesus and they apply it to life. And they say, this is, this is how the gospel impacts your life. This is how you should live in light of those things. And then at the end of the Bible, we have the book of Revelation, which, talk, which talks about the, the coming of Christ, the return of Christ, and how the consummation of the ages is fulfilled in him. And so it's easy to see how the New Testament's about Jesus, right? But what's often overlooked is that Jesus is the theme of the Old Testament as well. And that's what Jesus says. Look at verse 27 again. He says, Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, so he's, he's talking about the whole Old Testament, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all 
the Scriptures. Now that's much like what he said in John chapter 5, verse 46. There he said, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he, Moses, wrote about me, Jesus. Jesus said, The Old Testament is about me. Now the question that must be asked is in what way does the Old Testament tell us about Christ? Because it doesn't ever talk about Christ using the name Jesus, right? It doesn't say, uh, it, there's a lot of stuff that, uh, that we might expect to see in the Old Testament when you hear it's about him. So how does it tell us about Jesus? Well, one way is by a Christophany. Now, Christophany is a great big word. You say, what in the world is a Christophany? A Christophany is a, this is another big word, pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. This is when Jesus shows up on the scene before he came to Bethlehem. You say, well, I, I don't remember reading anything like that. Well, sure you do. You remember, you remember in uh, Genesis chapter 30, there's a, a time where Jacob wrestled with a man. You remember that? It, it, he, he was left alone, and the Bible says that a man appeared, and he began to wrestle with Jacob, and they wrestled all night long. And they wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. He didn't overcome him and, and this, that, and the other. But at the end of that, it says that he, was, that he wrestled with somebody who appeared to be a man, but in Genesis chapter 30, in verse uh, 28, it says that, that Jacob has striven with man, but also he says that he has striven with God. In Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible says that in the, king that year, uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. You remember this? The, the train of his robe filled the temple, and, 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 and there were seraphim that flew around, and they called out one to another and said, Holy, holy, holy. You remember all this? And, and you'd ask Isaiah, Who did you see? And he would say, Yahweh. He would say, God, Almighty God. In John chapter 12, verses 38 to 41, it says that Isaiah saw Christ's glory. He showed up in the Old Testament. Another way that we see Christ in the Old Testament is by types and shadows. And, and these are people and events that point ahead to the life and ministry of Christ. We're going to see some of those in, in just a little bit. There are also prophecies. And prophecy is writing history before it happens. And, and the, the prophets foretold Christ. The old writer B.B. Warfield said, The Old Testament is a richly furnished but dimly lit room. And when the New Testament light shines upon this room, you get to see all the glories. You get to see all these different dimensions that you never knew were there before. And, and, and we're going to see some of that in our, our text today. The second thing I want you to see is that failing to read with eyes of faith will prevent you from seeing Christ in the Old Testament. Failing to read with the eyes of faith will prevent you from seeing Christ in the Old Testament. He's there, but sometimes we overlook him. Look at verse 25 again. He said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Notice the reason that he rebuked them was not because they were dumb. He didn't say, you big dummies, I'm right there, can't you see it? He doesn't say, oh, this is really tough to decipher. He says the reason they didn't see him in, in the scriptures was because they were slow of heart to believe. That's another way of saying they, they, their faith was, was deficient. And if we don't see Christ when we, when we read the Old Testament, much of it is not going to make sense. And likewise, if we don't read with those eyes of faith, we'll have a deficient view of Christ when we read the New Testament. Now, People have rightly noted, and this is not original to me, I wish I had come up with it because it's pretty clever. The Old Testament is the new concealed. The New Testament is the old revealed. You've heard that before, I'm sure. That's what I was talking about. 
that much of the stuff that we read about in the New Testament is bound up in the Old, and then when we get to the New Testament, it, it just blossoms. It comes out into the open where we can see. And then when we look at the New, we see, oh, that's what that was talking about back in the Old. These two things go together. So the last thing I want you to see is that Christ's life, ministry, sufferings, and glory were all foretold. Look again at verses 26 and 27. He says, Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. I've thought several times about what it would be like to be at certain events of Jesus' life. What would it have been like to have been at, at the, 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 the graveside whenever Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb? You ever thought about something like that? What would it have been like to be at that wedding when Jesus turned water into wine? Grape juice, right? We're Baptists. Um, what would it have been like to see the, the lame begin to walk? What would it have been like to, to hear the parables that Jesus told? This is one of the things I, I this, is, this is probably one of the, the top of my list. If I could have been, I mean, Jesus is preaching on Jesus. You don't get much better than that. I would have loved to have been here and have heard what he said. And, and as I said before, when it says that he, he began with Moses and all the prophets, that's, that's a shorthand way of talking about the totality of the Hebrew scriptures from, from Genesis to Malachi. And we don't know all the scriptures he mentioned. We don't know all the ways that he applied them to himself. And the, the distance was only seven miles from Jerusalem to, to, uh, uh, to Emmaus. So, you know, you figure you walk, it takes you, what, 15, 17, 20 miles, uh, 20 minutes to, to go a mile? Seven miles, you don't have that long for Jesus to tell everything that's, that's in the Old Testament. So I'm sure you just hit the high points, but... But I, I want to I uh, focus on some, some things that maybe I think that he probably mentioned. I think he probably focused on the things that focused on his, his sufferings and his glory from what he said. But I think one of the places he probably started was in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Remember, God had put man and, and, and woman in, in the Garden of Eden. He said, you need of anything here except for that one tree. And what did they say? Okay, that sounds good. Let's go into that tree. Now, that's a, that's a paraphrase, a very loose paraphrase. Of course, you remember all that happened. The, the woman was deceived by the serpent. She went, she ate, and she gave to her husband, and he ate. And God came, and, and he, he cursed the serpent. He, he cursed the creation. Here's what he said in Genesis 3.15. God speaking to the serpent, he said, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now think about this. He said, I'll put enmity between your seed and what? Her seed. Now there, there's, a, there's a, a shadow, a hint of the virgin birth, because women, that's not the way they're spoken of. Women aren't the ones who produce the seed, so to speak, in, in that type of a, a situation. It's the man. So here we have the seed of the woman will what? will crush the head of the serpent, and he will bruise his heel. On the cross, Jesus defeated. He crushed the head of the serpent. But we get a little glimpse of his suffering, don't we? He will be bruised on the heel. He will recover. We get a little, little glimpse of the resurrection even. So there's, there's suffering even in Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 12, we have 
uh, God came to Abraham. He said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to bless you. And through, all you, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In Genesis chapter 12, he makes that promise. In Acts chapter 3, verse 25, they apply to Jesus. They say, this was fulfilled in Christ. He is the one through whom all the nations of the earth are blessed. In Genesis chapter 22, we have Abraham. The Bible says he took his son, his only son. Now, he, he, had, he had another son. He had Ishmael, but Isaac's the son of promise. And, and the Bible says that he took his son, his only son, up on Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. What does that prefigure? We have a heavenly father who offered up his son, his only begotten son, as a sacrifice. Now, Isaac was a young man. He could have resisted. He could have, with, he could have said, I ain't doing that, Dad. But he willingly went up there to lay down his life. Christ uh, took on the, the form of a servant, became obedient to, to death, even death on the cross. But before that death blow was struck to Isaac, there was a ram caught in a thicket that took his place. Likewise, Jesus took our place on the cross. In Exodus chapter 12, we have the Passover lamb that was slain. And God said, I'm going to send destruction. I'm going to send judgment. If you'll take the blood of the lamb and apply it to the doorpost and the lintel of your home, when I see the blood... I will pass over you. If that ain't the gospel, I don't know what is. When God sees the blood of Christ applied to our lives, he passes over us in judgment. God saves us because of the blood of the Lamb. The, the innocent dies for the guilty. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul says Christ is our Passover. The whole book of Leviticus, especially the chapters 1 to 5 or so, we have the whole sacrificial system. We have all these... All, all these regulations, and, and it's kind of hard to read. Somebody said that, that Leviticus is the read through the Bible in a year widow maker. I mean, you get to Leviticus and you get bogged down, but realize that is a picture of Jesus, where the, where the, the, the head of the family will lay his hands on the sacrifice's head, and those, the, the guilt of that sin is transferred symbolically to that one who who's going to die in, in place of the ones who committed the sins. Again, the innocent for the guilty. We have all this with, with uh, the Day of Atonement. All this points ahead to Christ's sin bearing, his vicarious death on the cross. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now these sacrifices, they didn't, uh, they, they didn't make it past that sacrifice. It was brutal. There was suffering. There was death. Again, that points ahead to Christ's suffering, his death. In Numbers 21, we had the fiery serpent that's lifted up on the pole. You remember that? That if anyone would look at that, uh, that serpent that's on the pole, they would live. Jesus took that and applied it to himself in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Again, we, 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 have, we have this picture of, of death. In Deuteronomy 18, we have a prophet like Moses who is to come. In Psalm 16 and verse 10, the Bible says in that verse, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Peter, when he stands up at Pentecost, the, 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 spirit, the spirit comes. People are like, what in the world is all this noise that we're hearing? And Jesus, uh, uh, Peter stands up and he begins to preach Jesus to him. And he applies this to the resurrection. Jesus didn't undergo decay, and he says this is scriptural uh, prediction of that. Psalm 1610. 
Psalm 22, the whole psalm, starts out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where have you ever heard that? Jesus on the cross. And, and you read through that whole psalm, and it's like somebody was sitting there at the crucifixion, writing about it centuries before it ever happened. He was despised by people. He was sneered at. He was mocked. He experienced intense thirst. His, his clothes were divided and gambled upon. He was surrounded by wicked people. His hands and his feet were pierced. When that was written, crucifixion hadn't even been invented yet. And yet, it's in our scriptures. It says he was laid in the dust of death. And yet, later, he says that I'll speak of my father to my brethren. Now, if you're dead, how are you speaking to anybody? You have a picture of the, of the suffering of, of the Messiah, but also a glimpse of the resurrection. Psalm 41, verse 9, he says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus was betrayed by his close friend. He talks about that in John 13 and 18. Uh, John 13, verse 18. He, he applies that to Judas. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12, he was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. That's glory. This is the most quoted verse from the Old Testament in the New. Psalm 110, verse 1. It's an important psalm. It talks about the glory that Christ experienced. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, it gave a timeline of when the Messiah was going to be cut off, when he was going to be put to death. In Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14, we have the, uh, we have the Son of God who approaches the Ancient of Days. And it says in, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, And to him, this is speaking of Christ, And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. You get on into the, into the prophets. We have Isaiah chapter 7. This isn't, isn't, that doesn't speak specifically of his suffering and his resurrection. But we have in, in Isaiah chapter 7, Behold, a virgin will bear a son. In, in Isaiah chapter 9, we have a child is going to be born to us. A son will be given. He will sit on the throne of his father David forever. That's glory. Isaiah 52 and 53 and, and other uh, chapters in Isaiah talking about the suffering servant. In Isaiah 52, I believe it's verse 14, it says that, that he, was, his, he was beaten so badly that his, 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 he, he was marred and he was hardly recognizable as a man. More than any other man, it says. He, he, was, he, he bore our griefs, Isaiah 53 says. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was scourged. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. And yet in all that, he stayed quiet. He went through all that. That's the suffering. And yet after that, the Bible says, yet his days will be prolonged. It says that he will see his offspring. He'll see the Lord's purpose fulfilled, and he will delight in it. How are you going to see your offspring? How are you going to see the Lord's purpose and, be, and, be, and delight in it when you're dead? We have suffering. We have the resurrection. We have hints of these things. Jonah, the prophet Jonah Jesus takes that and he says, that's a sign, that prefigures my burial and resurrection. And we could go on and on and on. Christ is in the Old Testament. It's all about him. And if you don't read the Old Testament with a view to Christ, you're not going to understand the Old Testament properly. That's what happened in Jesus' time. Jesus said, if you, if you believe Moses, you believe me, because Moses talked about me. 
And if you close your eyes to Christ, you close your eyes to much of the Scripture. Because, because God has set things up in such a way that it's hard to miss him. And it's all like a great big sign that says, here's Jesus, here's Jesus, here's the Son of God, here's the one who, who's coming to redeem man. It's all in the Scriptures. It's difficult to miss him, but the question is, have you missed him? Have you missed Christ? Have you recognized him not as a good man? He was that. But he wasn't only that. Do you recognize him as a prophet? Because he was that, but he wasn't only that. The question is, have you recognized him as Savior and Lord? Because we've all gone astray. We all, like sheep, have, have gone our own way, but, but, but the Father was pleased to lay the iniquity of us all on Christ. Jesus died on the cross that if you would turn from your sin, you'll be saved. If you will, if you will repent of your sins today, you'll find Christ a perfect Savior. He will, he, will, he will forgive your sins. He'll bring you into God's family. He'll, he will reconcile you to God. And if you've never done that, I call on you to repent and follow Christ today. But for those of us who are Christians... I hope, I hope this gives you a greater appreciation for the Word of God because Christ is all over the place. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to see him in every verse. But the whole scriptures point to him. And that's kind of a that's kind of a good rule of thumb whenever you read the scriptures. Do it with a view to Christ. How does this tell what does this tell me about Jesus? And I hope like these disciples that 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 you consider these things as you meditate on them, that your heart will burn within you as you see Christ in the Old Testament. Watch, stand with me as musicians come. Now she's saying to ask you, bow your heads and close your eyes. easy to look at the scriptures and to chop off the whole 39 books. Say, well, that's Old Testament. doesn't have anything to tell me. Listen, you will, get a, you, will, you will get a more, you will get a fuller picture of Christ when you read the Old Testament in light of him than you would just with the new. I just want you to think these, these early disciples, they didn't have the New Testament. When they preached and when they evangelized, all they had was the Old Testament. And they preached Christ. If they could do that with 39 books, we can surely do it with 66. The Bible tells one story one problem, that's sin. There's one remedy, that's Christ. There's one way to the Father, no one comes to the Father but by Him.
Father, Lord, we thank you that the whole Bible testifies about Jesus. Lord, I ask that, like the scriptures, you would help us to make him uh, preeminent in our own lives. The things that we do, the things that we uh, say would be done in view of, of Christ and what he's done on our behalf. God, I know that even in a group this size, there's, there's a likelihood that there are folks who are not saved. And if there's somebody here who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, they've never surrendered to him, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Give them space to repent. And God, for the person maybe who's, who is a Christian, but boy, they've just got some stuff going on. Lord, I lift them up to you and ask that you'd help them in the ways that they need, that you'd encourage them, strengthen them, give them wisdom. And again, I just pray that you would work in their life. God, we thank you for speaking to us in your word. In Jesus' name.